You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen, amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now as your church. God, come before you now to sing songs to your great name, Lord, to hear your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and teach us how we can be more like Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, would you fill this place now? Lord, you promised that you would be here. Oh, God, would we feel your presence, oh, God? Lord, be here as we seek to edify one another, as we seek to glorify your great name. Lord, we look to you. We look to you, O God, for hope. God, we look to you because you are great. God, we look to you because you are faithful. And God, we look to you because you are the only hope in this world. Lord, be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. So good morning, Harvest. Good morning. It is so great to be with you here uh, this morning. And uh, the message today is entitled, Hope for a Hurting Heart. We'll be in Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to go through the first 26 verses. So you can turn there now. And as you do, you know, this week in my study, I was just reminded by how blessed we are as a people that we have this. We have the word of God in our hands. It's incredible. Over thousands of years through many authors, God chose through prophets and apostles to write down his word so that we can have it this morning, every day, that we could be blessed by knowing who he is. And that's what we seek to do this morning, to find out more about who our great God is. Again, our message is hope for a hurting heart, and the question is, have Have you ever been hurting? I have, and I'm sure in this room of 300 or plus people, there are people right now who are hurting. And uh, it's hard, and it's difficult. And uh, we might come in with a smile on our face, but deep down there's something going on in our lives that's causing a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, a lot of affliction, and, and we don't really know where to go. Maybe we laugh it off, but the truth is, is that we are hurting. And this message is for you. Maybe you're sitting next to someone today who is hurting. And, and you need to know how to comfort them. This message is for you. One day I can guarantee everyone in this room will go through a season of some kind of hurt. This message is for us, because sometimes the pain is so deep, the hurt is so bad that it doesn't even seem like tomorrow is gonna come. It seems like this day will never end, this hurt is so bad, and we live in this world that has fallen and we live around sinful people and it just doesn't seem like there's much hope for tomorrow. But the answer to our hurt is hope in God. We need hope this morning, church. 
without hope in God and in Jesus Christ, our life would just be on a downward spiral into depression, and eventually, without hope in God, it would be an eternity separated from him. We need hope. And in this little book of Lamentations, which is, if you haven't found it yet, it's tucked in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Jeremiah wrote this book as well, and in this little book of Lamentations in chapter 3, which is the third of five acrostic poems that make up this book, it's a personal a poem about his own life. The, the other four poems are about Israel, but this one is about him and what he's going through and what he went through. And in this little poem inside of this little book, Jeremiah shows us how we can have hope despite our circumstance. Before we get started, I want to just kind of show you where I'm going today, okay? I want to walk you through what this message is going to contain, all right? So we're covering a lot of verses, so we're going to have to be good students of God's Word today. We're covering 26 verses, okay? But the first 20 verses all are to do with the first point, and and we're going to be talking about that life is pretty difficult at times, and we're going to see what Jeremiah went through in his life and why it is hard. The second point is verses 21 to 24, and we're going to see how great our God is. Despite the hurt, there is so much hope. And don't be fooled by the first verse or the first um, point here. This message is about hope. The third point is going to be 25 and 26, and it's really going to be the application for the whole message, so stick with me to the end. We're going to apply this whole thing in the last two verses. Also, alongside this message, I'm going to be giving you a biography of a missionary who went through all of these things, and hopefully that will help us understand what Jeremiah was going through as well. His name is John G. Patton. And maybe you've heard of him before. He's a Scot- he was a Scottish missionary, and he went to the South Pacific to the New Hebrides Islands, which is now uh, Vanuatu. And uh, he went there uh, 19 years after uh, John Williams and James Harris went to the same island. But within five minutes of John and James going there, they were clubbed to death and cooked and eaten by the cannibalistic tribes. This is the position that John Patton finds himself in, going to do mission work on this island. He served on two islands over his uh, two different stints there, and um, the Lord did amazing work, amazing work. Um, On the second island he was on, it was just a small island, but 100% of the people who were cannibalistic Savages, I mean, like not just saying that word, like literally, like eating people confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord. A hundred percent. Today, if you were to go to this chain of islands, 85% would claim to be Christian and a good section and portion of that evangelical Christians. The Lord did an amazing work through this individual with his gospel And we can be very encouraged by that. Uh, John Patton has an incredible testimony. And I'm only going to be able to give you some snapshots here today. And I would encourage you, um, if you're interested, go and read his autobiography. Or uh, John Piper did some extensive work on him as well and has some free resources on desiringgod.org that you can check out um, online. And uh, did some great work. And there's a message. You can even listen to it. If you don't like reading, you can just listen to him talk about it. It is quite the story. 
So today, we're going to get started here, and we're going to be talking in this first point about the hurt, and remember, hope is coming, but right now we have to deal with these first 20 verses, and this is our first point. Uh, My heart hurts, and life is hard. My heart hurts, and life is hard. The Bible makes no apologies for being honest and brutally honest to describe the human experience on earth. It doesn't beat around the bush. It it gets right to the point that life is hard. And and Jeremiah shows us this in the first 20 verses of verse 3, or chapter 3. Life is hard. There will be trouble. Many of you know that right now. I'm saying life is hard, and you're like, yeah, I can relate. Things are pretty tough right now. Not every day is filled with sunshine and rainbows. Life is hard. Jeremiah starts this chapter by saying this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. And this sets up a raw, emotional passage of Scripture that looks into the very depths of the trouble of a person's heart. This is as bad as it gets. Again, there's no point in beating around the bush. I I mean, I could stand up here and tell you that um, everything's going to be okay from now on, and you're not going to have any more trouble. It's not true. It's not true. We live in a fallen world. We're we're sinners. And, And whether it's because of our sin, someone else's sin, or just because of circumstance, life is hard. And that's why we gather here today to love on one another and to hear from God's word. But life is hard. And so what I see here in these first 20 verses is Jeremiah walks through four symptoms of a hurting heart. Four symptoms of a hurting heart. And the first one between verses two and six I see is sitting in darkness. Sitting in darkness. Let's read from verse two. He says this, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand and again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Can you relate? to that, sitting in darkness. Things are so hard right now. And I feel like I am sitting in darkness. I'm filled with bitterness and tribulation. John Patton and his wife, who was pregnant at the time, uh, traveled to these islands in uh, 1858 on November 5th. And on February 12th of 1959, so just three months later, their first child, a baby boy, was born, who is exactly 130 years older than me. Pretty cool. You're all going to now do the math to figure out how old I am. But he gets to this island. Within three months, they have their first baby boy. Things seem to be going well. And uh, he writes this. Then in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, She died on March 3rd. To crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy whom we had named after her father, Peter Robert Robson, was taken from me one week after sickness on the 20th of March. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me 
As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. He says this, I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, left alone in sorrowful circumstances. He's there doing the Lord's work. His wife, his brand new baby boy, die. And right next to his little mission house that they had built, he has to bury, he has to dig two graves and bury his wife and his son. And he's sitting there on this island, half the world away from home, alone. Darkness. Abandoned. Have you ever felt this way? Like Jeremiah or like John Patton? Maybe you've lost a spouse and I can't imagine what you are going through this morning or uh, maybe you've lost a child. Maybe a dear friend. I've sat in darkness. Um, Me and my wife, we've gone through two miscarriages. It's hard. And I I can't even begin to try and paint my sorrows in that moment to try to really express the, the, the darkness of sitting in that because there's nothing I could do. There's, there's no way I could even console my wife. I can't fix that problem. It's life. It's circumstance. It's hard. And perhaps you've been there. And if not one day, you probably will be there. Life is tough. Life is hard. Sometimes we sit in darkness. The second symptom of a hurting heart I see here is being trapped. And in verses seven to nine, Jeremiah says this, he has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. You see that Jeremiah says, basically, God, I'm I'm surrounded by stone blocks, and and every turn I take in this stone maze just leads me to more confusion, and I, I can't get out, and I'm trapped. And maybe you feel that way right now. John Patton felt this way. He, he wrote this, he said, one morning at daybreak I found my house surrounded by armed men and a chief intimated that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus for what seemed the last time on earth. You see, he's surrounded and, and, and maybe, you know, you don't literally have people with weapons surrounding your house ready to kill you, but it sure does feel like it. It sure does feel like it. You feel trapped in your circumstance, or as Jeremiah says, that your chains have been made heavy. Your burden is so heavy right now, and I feel for you, and God feels for you, and and, and you've heard this before, that you could cast your burdens on Jesus, but you just don't know what that looks like right now. Life is hard, and we feel trapped. The third thing I see here from verses 10 to 13 is that we feel attacked. It's another symptom of a hurting heart. We feel attacked. In verse 10 he says, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion 
in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Um, so John Patton was a, uh, a really a great godly man. And of course, uh, if, if you do go and, and read some of his stuff, he was, he was, he was witty which is nice to read, and uh, very godly and truthful, but also had a bit of humor, and so it's, it's, a, it's a good read. So I would suggest that. But um, when he would often, he would often be asked to pray with people, and maybe, maybe this has happened to you. You have family members who really despise Christianity or religion in general, and they argue with you about it, but then the second they're sick or something's gone wrong, they ask if you would pray with them. You've been there? Well, John had been there as well. John Patton had been there as well, and he had many enemies on this island, but when they would get sick, they would ask for him to come and pray for them because his prayers were effective because he was praying to the one true God, and God would answer his prayers. And so they knew it would work, but they didn't like him anyway. They asked him to come and pray. And in this one, um, this one instance, uh, someone got sick and, and asked that he would come and pray, um, and he did. Um, but it was a ambush, and uh, this man who was supposed to be sick was lying in this bed. The second John walked through the door and came near the bed, he jumped from under the covers and had this big dagger and put it right up to his heart. And in that moment, John recalls and writes this. He says, I durst neither move nor speak except that my heart kept praying to the Lord to spare me, or if my time was come to take me home to glory with himself. There passed a few moments of awful suspense. My sight went and came. Not a word had been spoken except to Jesus. And again, maybe you don't have someone with a dagger pointed at your heart, but it sure does feel that way. Your, your spouse has turned on you. Your kids have turned on you. Your good friends that you thought could, would always be there for you aren't there for you right now. And they're opposing you and, you, and you feel attacked. Someone at work just wants your job and is looking to get you fired, and you feel attacked, and you're hurting, and it's okay to hurt. Life is hard. He goes on here in verses 14 to 20, and the fourth symptom I see as uh, from a hurting heart is this, being emotionally distraught, emotionally distraught. And of course, this weaves through all of them, but very clearly here in verse 14, he says this, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. When John Patton had originally left Scotland, many people didn't want him to go. You see, John Patton had a very, very successful and blessed ministry in Glasgow, Scotland. 
He was teaching six, 700 people a day. There was more people being saved than, in Scotland than there had been in decades. Very fruitful ministry, a very godly man, and, and the Lord was using him mightily. And so you could imagine when he said, I want to go to the South Pacific, people weren't thrilled. They're like, no, 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 what, are you crazy? You got this great ministry here. Why would you go? And um, again, he's, he's pretty witty and pretty funny and, and very smart. Um, this, this older gentleman, uh, Mr. Dixon was his name. He was a mentor of his and maybe an elder of his. And, and uh, Mr. Dixon, kind of rightly so, said to John Patton, he said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. Only 19 years earlier did two other missionaries go, and within five minutes they were dead and eaten. He was, he was right. He's like, You're, are you crazy? This isn't 150, 200 years ago that that happened at the time. This was only 19 years ago. It's recent, fresh in the memory. Cannibals, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And John Patton very wittingly, uh, wittingly um, responds. He says, Mr. Dixon, uh, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Truth and humor, they can go together. But after four years of being on the island, a lot had happened. And uh, he sailed off that island and uh, went to Australia for a bit and then back to uh, Great Britain and into Scotland and he was trumpeting uh, missions work in the South Pacific and the need for more pastors and missionaries to go there and spread the gospel. And you can imagine the pushback he got when he came back. You can imagine the conversation with his in-laws from his recently deceased wife. You took her there. This is on you. Our grandson died because you went there. We told you not to go. Other people had words for him as well, and he remembers this and, and, and writes this. He says, conscious that I had to the last inch of life tried to do my duty, I left all results in the hands of my only Lord and all criticisms to his unerring judgment. Hard things also were occasionally spoken to my face. One dear friend, for instance, said, you should not have left. You should have stood at the post of duty till you fell. It would have been, your, it would have been to your honor and better for the cause of the mission. Ouch. His dearest friends, his family are saying, you wasted your time. People are dead because of you. Way to go, buddy. And I can only imagine that in this moment he is emotionally distraught. Like Jeremiah was, he says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. He's the laughingstock of all peoples. And, and, and maybe you're emotionally distraught. Maybe it's because of someone else's sin, what they've done to you. Maybe it's just because of circumstance of this world or maybe it's because of your own sin. I don't know, but 
you're not alone. Notice here that in these 17 verses, or in the first 17 verses of this chapter, Jeremiah doesn't mention the name of God once. He just says he and his, but he doesn't mention the name of God, Yahweh, until verse 18. 17 verses without the name of God. In, in your Bible, Yahweh is translated just Lord in, in, in all capitals, and you can see that in verse 18. Not one mention of God for 17 verses. Have you ever felt like that? There's so much pain, there's so much hurt, there's so much of my sin, so much of someone else's sin, and I can't even call out the name of God right now. I wouldn't even know what to say to him. And maybe it's not that dramatic for you, but maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's like this. You have heard the the calling of the Holy Spirit to prayer, and you've ignored it. You say, I don't... I'll do that later. I, don't, I, don't, I can't pray right now. Or, or you've heard the, the, the Spirit beckoning you to, to get into God's Word and to read it, and you're like, no, 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 I can't, I, can't, I can't read God's Word right now. I'll just sleep. And your Bible's been closed for a while, and, and, and really what that is is not being able to utter the name of God in your life because you feel hurt, you feel abandoned, 17 verses of feeling abandoned. Loved ones, loved ones, loved ones. Life is hard. There is so much hurt in this room right now. But there's hope. But there's hope. The joy will come when we see that God is using these things or even placing these hardships in our lives so that we would love him more, that we would depend on him more. And this leads us to our next verse because right now it's kind of depressing. These first 20 verses are kind of depressing, but check out these next three. They're incredible. They've inspired people for thousands of years. And this is our second point. My heart hurts and God is my great portion. My heart hurts and God is my great portion. This is where hope comes from. This is the great truth about our God. The unchanging truth that He and He alone is great. Look at the text, look at the text, verse 21. What's the first word there? It says, but. Oh, thank the Lord for the word but in Scripture. 20 verses of hurt describing the symptoms of a hurting heart, the pain, the torment, everything we're going through. And then, but. But. All of that, but. And he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore, and therefore, I will have hope. Life is hard, but I will call this to mind, and therefore, I will have hope. See, what Jeremiah is saying here is that the key to unlocking the door of hope is remembering who your God is. 
The key to unlocking the door of hope in your life is remembering who your God is. And loved ones, this is the secret to this whole text right here. Big problems in life, all of your hurt, all your struggle, big problems in life are only overcome by a bigger view of God. Big problems in life are only overcome by a bigger view of God. The battle for hope in your life is not in your circumstance. The battle for hope in your life is in your mind. Will you remember God or will you sit in self-pity? Will you look to his character for hope or will you rely on yourself? God's character is the foundation for our hope. John Patton goes on and he says this, he says, whatever trials have befallen me in my earthly pilgrimage, I have never had the trial of doubting that perhaps, after all, Jesus had made some mistake. No, my blessed Lord Jesus makes no mistake. When we see all his meaning, then we shall understand. What now we can only trustfully believe that all is well, best for us, best for the cause most dear to us, best for the good of others and the glory of God. You see, you see, John Patton understood this truth, that life is hard, but Jesus makes no mistake, and he has a plan, and right now we maybe can only trust but we will understand how this is best for us, for others, for the mission he's put us on, and for his glory. A mentor of mine um, used to say this to me often. He would say, when you're teaching, or just in your own life, Daniel, um, if you can remember these three things, if the people that you're teaching can remember these three things, you can get through anything in life. And I'm like, okay, please tell me, what are those three things? And they are this, number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He rules over everything. He is in control. Number two, God is good. Not only is he sovereign, but he is good in his ruling. And number three, God loves you. If you can imprint those three truths in the back of your mind, you can get through anything. God is sovereign, God is good, and he loves you. Well, Jeremiah here goes through three different characteristics of who our God is and why we can have such a great hope amidst the trouble and the hardship and the pain that we're in He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. And then he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Amen. We can see this because right now, loved ones, we are not living in an eternity separated from him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Jeremiah wrote this before Christ came to earth, and we can now see that he was absolutely correct. 
God's love never ceases. Uh, in the Gospel of John, it tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his son. God's love never ceases. He's proven it. Some of us here today really, like really need to hear this. God's love never ceases. You think you're too far gone from God's love. It's been too long for me. I've been in too much hurt. No, 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 no. God's love never ceases. I kind of wrote down in my study six things that are true for us because God's love never ceases. If you want to write them down, feel free. The first thing is, is since God's love never ceases, it is not contingent on our behavior. God's love is not contingent on your behavior. It's not like he loves you more today because you came to church, and next week when you're at the cottage, he doesn't love you that day. No, no, what? God's love never ceases. It's not contingent on your behavior. It's contingent only on what Jesus did. And Jesus did it. And so God's love never ceases. Number two, God's love never ceases, and that means that it's not wavering in degrees. His love doesn't change. It's not like he loves you more or less. No, no, no. He, his love is perfect and holy. He always loves you the most possible, and it never ceases. Number three, he will finish in you what he started. We learn that in Philippians 1 verse 6. If you, if you are saved in Jesus Christ and you've given your life to him, he will finish that work in you. God's love never ceases. Number four, since God's love never ceases, your sin is crushed by the love of God for all eternity. There's not a point where all of a sudden you owe it or you owe punishment for your sin. No, no, God's love never ceases. Number five, since God's love never ceases, you are not a foster kid in the kingdom of heaven. You are an adopted son and daughter of the living God. God's love is not some government program that starts when you're four and ends when you're 18. It goes on and on and on and on, and his love never ceases. You will be rejoicing in him, with him in heaven for eternity. His love never ceases. And number six, because God's love never ceases, we can be sure that he will never change in the future. He stays the same. His love never ceases Malachi 6 or 3, 6 tells us that God never changes, never. His love never ceases. Jeremiah goes on here and he says after the, that the love of the Lord never ceases, he says, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Amen. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
If yesterday was a hard day, there's a fresh bag of mercy waiting for you this morning. Today is a hard day? Well, you just wait till tomorrow morning. His mercies are new every morning. We don't have to wonder what tomorrow will bring. I can guarantee you this, they will bring God's mercy. Mercy is the concept of withholding just just punishment, all right? So you deserve to be punished and you're not punished. That's what mercy is. Grace, on the other hand, is giving of something that you don't deserve. So in God's mercy, he takes away our punishment, and in his grace, he gives us eternal life. We deserve punishment, he takes that away, mercy. We don't deserve eternal life, he gives it to us, grace. You can think about it uh, this way as well, and maybe some of us can unfortunately relate more than others on this, but imagine if you had a sin credit card, all right? And you have been swiping that thing all day long, shopping spree in the sin department, okay? And you've maxed out your limit, and you're accruing interest day after day. It's like 18%. And God owns that account. And he said, no, no, in my mercy, I've canceled your interest. I've canceled your debt. You don't have to pay anymore. And then you're like, great. And then the next day, you go and you start spending and you start spending and swiping that card and you've built up more debt, but his mercies are new every morning. Every morning, his mercies are new. Great is our God. And at times, for us, God's mercy is hard or difficult to see. You have to ask yourself this question and really consider this for a moment. Search your heart on this. Do you believe that God will use pain and affliction to show his mercy? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God would use pain, that pain you're feeling right now, do you believe that he would use that pain and affliction to show his mercy? This is really important because the entire gospel hinges on the truth of this statement. If this isn't true, the gospel isn't true. Really consider this for a moment. God ordained the most heinous of injustices that would take place ever, that Jesus, who is holy, would be punished and beaten, and abandoned, and spit upon, and crucified on a cross, and the whole weight of the entire world's sin would be put upon a holy and righteous man, and from it, look at the reward. Do you see? He took the greatest sin humanity has ever committed, and from it gave the greatest mercy the world has ever seen. He took the greatest sin man has ever committed, putting Jesus on the cross, trying an absolute innocent man and condemning him to death, and he took that and from it he gave the world the most mercy it will ever see. And how can we not relate to the one we call our Savior? 
Do you think that God can't take your pain, that can't take your hurting, can't take your anguish, can't take all of that hurt that you're storing up in your heart and turn it around to show his mercy in your life? Yes, yes, he definitely and most assuredly can and will. I feel at this point in the text, Jeremiah is just bubbling up in love for his Savior, in love for his God, and he says, his love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and he explodes. He's like, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And we have to ask ourselves this question. How can the man who wrote verses 1 through 20, only three verses later, exclaim, just shout out, Great is your faithfulness. How is that possible? It's because Jeremiah sees that God is faithful through his circumstance. God is faithful because of his circumstance. I wrote down seven reflections, again, that I see in my life, and maybe these are helpful for you, to see how God is so faithful, so faithful. This is number one. God, you have shown your faithfulness by not allowing me to enjoy sin forever, but showing me that there is a great joy found in you. Great is your faithfulness. God, you have shown me that you are faithful because even though I change and I mess up at times, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Great is your faithfulness. God, you have shown me you are faithful because you have a plan that is greater than I can understand. Great is your faithfulness. God, you have shown you are faithful because you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Great is your faithfulness. It's Romans 8, 28. Do you see that? that God is working all things, what does all things include? It includes all things. All of your pain, all of your happiness, all of your sin, all of other people's sin, all of the misery, all of the disappointment, all of the tragedy. God is working all things together for your good if you are called and loved by God, if you are called according to his purposes, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and are a child of the living God. Number five, you have shown you are faithful because you have disciplined me and not allowed me to live in my ignorance forever. Great is your faithfulness. Number six, you have shown you are faithful because you've always done what you said you would do. Every single time God comes through, he has always done what he says he would do. If you want proof of that, Just read this. Just go through it cover to cover, book by book, and see that God has come through on every single one of his promises. Great is your faithfulness. And number seven, you have shown you are faithful because you comfort my hurting heart when I don't deserve it. Great is your faithfulness. 
You have sent your Holy Spirit to comfort me, and I don't deserve it. Great, O oh God, is your faithfulness. You are surely faithful. And we've seen now how life can be hard, and it is hard for many of us. And, but we have also seen how great our God is, that his love never ceases, that his mercies never come to an end, and that he is so faithful. And we move now to verses 25 and 26 into our final point. And that is, my heart hurts and I will wait. My heart hurts and I will wait. It says this in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So right there at the beginning of 25, I see this, that favor is given to the one who waits. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. There is favor given to the one who waits on God, to the soul who seeks him. Do you remember this little um, song you used to sing in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school? It kind of went like this. Maybe you can finish it for me. It was like, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll... You guys didn't go to Sunday school, eh? <laughs> Let's try that again. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll... Wonderful. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Let us never graduate from that truth. How do you seek him? How do you wait for him in his word, in prayer? The other day, I um, had to go for a little walk on my own, and um, an older gentleman a story I heard about him is that whenever he drives, he prays, and he prays just through the alphabet. And it seems kind of silly, but it's great. I mean, he just, every letter of the alphabet, he thinks of something to pray for. It's a great way to start your, pray, your, your <laughs> praying, though. As I'm walking there, I'm like, oh, that was a great idea. So I just started to walk, and I was like, A, hmm, B, C, and you'd be amazed at the things that all of a sudden the Lord was bringing to mind and how I could pray to him and just think of his faithfulness and think of his greatness and his love and his blessing and who he is. It was great. I'm very thankful for that. But I think the answer as well is in verse 26. How do I wait on God? And verse 26 says this, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And this little verse here, all right, this, this little verse, verse 26, took me four hours of study. This verse, actually one word in this verse, it was four hours of study, all right? So we're going to take the next four hours and go through this one verse. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll give you the Coles note version, all right? We'll get right through this. It says, it is good that one should wait quietly. And um, I was looking in the Hebrew, and what I noticed was is that The word wait is different than the word wait in verse 25. And I'm like, okay, because there's that quietly aspect joined onto it. It's like wait quietly, okay, okay, I can take that. And then I was reading some other versions, right? So you get to like the King James, and the verse is kind of different. It it, it reads like this, and other versions are like this as well. It reads more like, it is good for one who both hopes and waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I'm like, where's that other word come from? It's not in my Bible. I want that word. 
So I'm like, okay. So they, they translated it hope. So I'm looking at that, and then I'm like, okay, great, because in our text, in verses 21 and in 24, you see that there? It, it, it uses the word hope, right? But it's not the same word. It's not the same word, and so now I'm confused, and this is where this took me hours, because I don't speak Hebrew. But I go through the Hebrew, and I find that there are two words there. There's this word that means wait quietly, and then there's this other word, and I want to know what it means. And I can see why the ESV just translated it, it is good that one should wait quietly because that word can kind of be translated just wait. And so they just kind of stuck it together to say, it's almost like it's good that one should wait, wait quietly. And they're just like, ah, oh, let's just wait quietly. I can see that. But as I studied a little bit more into what that word means, I found this, is that that, that word is literally translated as this, whirling. And you're like, ah, that's why it's confusing. Whirling, like a, like a dance move. I'm not gonna perform that for you right now. But like a dance move, or, or, or as it's translated, or how Jeremiah uses it in the book of Jeremiah, um, a whirling, temptuous storm. He uses it many ways like that to describe, you know, yesterday you were around here, crazy storms, like tornado warnings, like that. He's saying like this whirling, temptuous storm is coming. It's also used in scripture to describe childbirth. What? I was brought forth in iniquity. It's that verb, I was brought forth in the pain of labor. And it's used many times in scripture to describe labor pains and, and giving birth. And I'm trying to reconcile this. Well, what does that have to do with waiting quietly for the salvation of the Lord? It is good that one should worldly wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord? And then it hit me. What I think Jeremiah is trying to tell us here. Verses one through 20 are true in our lives. And life is hard and our emotions are distraught, and we feel trapped, we feel abandoned, we feel like we're sitting in darkness, and amongst all of that whirling, all of that pain, and all of that distraught, we are to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Our heart might be turning in circles, but we are choosing to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Listen, I said this and I'll say it again. I could stand up here and tell you that tomorrow's going to be great. It's gonna be easy. Life is easy and if you would just trust in Jesus, all your problems will go away in this life. It's not true. It's just not true. Life is hard. There will be heartache. There will be pain. There will be affliction. And we have a choice in that moment. In all the whirling, in the storm that's going on in our heart, we can either look to ourselves and we can try to fix the problem. We can try to turn the circumstance. We can try to get back at people and we can gossip and we can slander. Or we can wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The truth here, loved ones, is that you and I, we cannot change a person's heart but the Lord can. 
you and I cannot change the war and the terrible things that are happening in the world, but the Lord can. You and I can't take sin and misery and affliction and pain and turn it into mercy, but the Lord can. And as we look to him, as we, as we say, God, you are so loving, as we dwell on his character, God, you are so merciful, as we, as we see who he is, God, you are so faithful, we can know that he has a plan, that he loves us, he is sovereign, and one day this world will make sense. And for now I have hope because of who God is. And I will wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that salvation might not come tomorrow out of your problems, but it will come, and one day we will be rejoicing in eternity forever with our Lord. I'm gonna leave you with one more quote from John Patton and then uh, pray, and Chris is gonna come out and leave a, lead us in, in a great song. Um, John Patton said this, he said, I pity from the depths of my heart every human being who, from whatever cause, is a stranger to the most ennobling, uplifting, and consoling experience that can come to the soul of man. Blessed communion with the Father of our spirits through gracious union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your incredible grace. God, we thank you that even though we are in a painful situation, God, that right now life really does hurt, that things aren't going the way we planned. We have been abandoned. We're sitting in darkness, oh God. We're attacked, God. Amongst all of those things, Lord, we can have hope because of who you are. Not because of who we are, God, but because you are loving, because your mercy never ends, and God, you are faithful. Lord, to the hurting heart that is here today, God, I pray that your hope would be shown to them, that they would look to your character of who you are and your faithfulness, and they would say, I can have hope now amidst my pain, amidst my suffering, because my God is great. Lord, we love you. We need you, oh God. We look to you now. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.